Hello there and welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host Rob Warner, joined by Sun Devil Source reporters Max Madden. Max, how are you today? Uh, I'm doing well, Rob. I'm just trying to balance this AC recruiting news with everything that's going on uh, in the NBA right now. It's pretty wild. That it is pretty wild on the the trade deadline happening. And Kalen, uh, how's it going, man? How's everything with you today? I'm doing good, man. How you been? Everything good. Everything's been pretty good. A lot of uh, crazy stuff going on with ASU, though. Fabian, how's it going? Chris hasn't traded me yet, so we're good. He, I think he still has a few hours left to no. decide. The, the deadline expired. Oh, uh, the deadline expires. We're, well, we're on the same NBA tread day. Well, we just didn't get enough offered, you know. And, got and, it. And, and <laughs> I think we got offered a third-round pick. Oh, which wait, doesn't wait, exist. That, that doesn't exist. Well, <laughs> I'm just curious since since Max brought this up. Max, you don't have a team, right? Just making sure. I do not have a team. The team oh, vacated the city exist. in 2008. But I do appreciate you bringing it up. <laughs> okay. Well, the good news is uh, we're going to be talking about football instead of basketball here. Well, actually, just for the moment, there is a basketball podcast we recorded on Tuesday that any listeners can uh, listen to if they want. Right now, though, we're going to do this whole podcast about National Signing Day. This is going to be our free podcast, so it's not going to be as in-depth as our premium. That is coming out later today. Uh, but guys, let's just get straight into the matter. ASU announced its 2018 recruiting class yesterday, the first completed under new head coach Herm Edwards and his, his, uh, his uh, coaching staff. Uh, ASU rounded up a class of 21 recruits. Uh, our very own Kevin Stewart wrote a, a very good comparative analysis piece on – the state of ASU and where exactly they lie um, in terms of rankings, in terms of how this class uh, stacks up to other classes. Uh, Fabian, you also uh, talked a lot about rankings. You had an article on the site. Um, what was your big takeaway with how ASU kind of did yesterday in the rankings, both in the conference and nationally? Uh, they jumped a bunch, especially down the stretch. It was a late rally. Uh, a lot of it was Arizona State new. Uh, a lot of these guys were going to commit. Antonio Pierce talked a little bit about how he was confident that using it, especially the, his two guys in Jermaine Lola and Ashari Crosswell, but they got Jared Bell at around twelve twelve forty five ish Arizona time, and over the next two and a half hours, uh, including Bell, they had seven signees announced, and you saw Arizona State's rankings as a result, of course, jump up. They started the day at seventy fourth in the national rankings. They finished the day thirty sixth. They started the day dead last in the Pac twelve in recruiting rankings, and they currently sit at fifth. So a great finish for Arizona State, especially a flurry of guys getting announced down the stretch. But a lot of it was stuff ASU sort of planned out. They had an idea that this was how it was going to unfold, but it was definitely a dramatic finish uh, entering that press conference for Herm Edwards. I think they got Merlin Robertson like moments before uh Herm Edwards, Donnie Antis, and Danny Gonzalez walked in for that press conference. And you're talking a little bit about some of the rankings. Something that we want to make sure we note is is the media's reaction to everything Arizona State was doing yesterday in terms of recruiting. Um, we have a tweet here by Max Max Mayer, who uh, works for uh, Sports Illustrated in New York, and he tweeted, Arizona State landed 29 four-star recruits in Todd Graham's six recruiting classes per 247 uh, sports. Arizona State currently has zero four-star recruits in Herm Edwards' first recruiting class. Arizona State gave Todd Graham a $12 million buyout to hire Herm Edwards. That was one tweet. We also have Landry Locker, who's a, a radio personality in the Houston area, said, I just want I just watched Herm Edwards' ASU recruiting presser, and here are my observations. One, he had assistants with him answering questions about specific players. I don't think he knows them. Two, he compared recruiting to the NFL draft 769 times. Doesn't seem to understand the difference. We had 
Arizona 98.7 uh, sports personality John Gambadoro tweeting, uh, if you're on the train, get off. Followed by a few hours later him saying, nice late rally. ASU has gone from 67th to 45th by getting some good four-star recruits. And then an hour after that, he tweeted all the way up to 36th. Very respectable, nice late rally. Chris, what are some of your reactions kind of to how, how people are treating ASU in terms of the media? I was actually on the Arizona sports a couple shows yesterday, including with John Gamadoro as we kind of wrapped up the class. Uh, I think it's very obvious and everybody is aware that the national media has responded poorly to the hire of Herm Edwards, right? They think that this is a bad idea. It's not going to work out. They like to make fun of Herm for all of the things that he says off the cuff and TV and radio appearances and some of the press conferences. Does he really know what a Sun Devil is? And that's the mascot and all, all that, right? I think that that's just kind of fodder. Um, but really what I want to say, and maybe this will turn into a little bit of a mini rant here, Rob, and please bear with me if so. But uh, what happens is media want their takes to be proven correct, right? So they're going to use the ammunition that supports their perspectives to try to fit that and then push that narrative really aggressively, right? Nobody's sitting around and saying, hmm, let's do some really in-depth analysis and perspective of what's going on and try to understand it better and figure it out. And what are the pluses and what are the minuses? That's not how, this is a very emblematic of society, right? When, you, when people talk about politics, when they talk about you know, culture, when they talk about uh, even things like really you know, uh, what's going on with the Kardashians or what's going on with anything in society. They have these, they have these preconceptions, okay? And they want to push their preconceptions and reverse engineer to fit their whatever it is that they you know are articulating it's not about actually learning and knowing and having a depth of knowledge about about the subject matter because that's obviously too hard and too time consuming for people to really want to do they'd much rather just be able to make these you know these uh, these inane sort of comments and project themselves to know what the hell they're talking about they don't Okay, they just absolutely do not. Now, why do we know this to be true? Like using ASU, bringing this back to ASU as an example. We had on our site when certain when the times of the commitments were going to be coming in the day. If you wanted to know what was going on with ASU, you could have looked and said, oh, geez, they have three or four of their most highly sought after recruits who are going to be committing in this part of the day. So maybe we should reserve our commentary until we see if they get those people, right? It's a recruiting day. We're a top recruiting site. People, they, they cite 24-7 sports. We're the 24-7 sports site, right? You could have easily done some knowledge. You could have looked up Merlin Robertson's profile. You could have looked up Ashari Crosswell's profile, Jermaine Lole's profile. You could have seen, oh, look, ASU's very involved here, and ASU actually coached two of these guys. Not hard to figure it out, right? That's not what people really want to do. They want to fit their narrative, and they want to push that, right? So people ended up looking really stupid. That's just the reality of it. 
Now, you could debate whether ASU had the right strategy or not about its approach to signing day. And we can ha actually have that conversation here if you guys want to. ASU knew 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning that they were going to get all of these guys except for maybe a couple. And really, they knew before yesterday, uh, before signing day, who they were going to get. These guys had videos prepared, right? They it, That didn't happen in the hour before they were announced by ASU. That happened way in advance. And it kind of goes into what we've been talking about on this podcast in recent weeks, Chris, about how you know they were at 11, 11 scholarships basically since early the early signing period. And people were just like, you know, when are they going to get their next public commitment? They haven't gotten it. And you're talking about the strategy where they actually planned on this for a specific reason. Correct. So um, they could have, if they had wanted to, had these guys commit two days ago, three days ago, five days ago, and then all these national media people that were bashing them would have seen this reflected in the rankings. And then they wouldn't have made some of the comments that they made because ASU would have looked, at, at, at a minimum, pretty reasonable, right, in terms of how Herm Edwards was doing in his first class. Okay, ASU consciously decided we're going to allow the media to say whatever they're going to say or fans or whatever. And then we're going to finish with this big flourish. We're going to jump up the rankings. People are going to say, oh, geez, they did pretty well after all. Surprise, surprise. Was that the right strategy? I don't know. You know, I think it might not have been the right strategy because the, you know, there's there's probably 10 to 20 percent of the of ASU's fans that are actually really invested in this kind of stuff and know what's going on. And then you have 80 to 90 percent who are going to just look at some rankings and they're going to go, oh, it's signing day. Let's see how ASU did. And it's 11 a.m. or, you know, 1 p.m. And then you go on, you go, geez, they're last in the Pac-12 and they're like getting crushed and it's not very good. And then they sign off and they go about their day. Right. And also some of those people they determine how they feel about ASU based upon what the national talking heads say about ASU or the local people on sports radio like like Gambadoro, right? So maybe ASU made a mistake by doing it this way because a lot of people decided or they were told that ASU didn't do very well before it actually turned out that ASU did very well. So maybe, maybe that was a bad strategy for ASU. But it doesn't change the fact that ASU signed what objectively – Based upon, you look at what Kevin Stewart wrote in terms of his analysis, what I would advise everybody to do, uh, this class compared to Dennis Erickson's first class, uh -huh. Todd Graham's first class, it's actually a little bit better. It's, it's roughly equivalent or a little bit better national rankings, better in the Pac-12 rankings. And and what I would say before I you know, finish this long diatribe and get off my soapbox, <laughs> what I would also say is that this was actually a much tougher year for a first-year head coach for things that we talked about right. in the past, which is, which is because in the December signing period, all the kids that you would consider trying to try to switch from San Diego State or New Mexico or Colorado State or Oregon State, they, they already signed. So you actually have a much smaller pool of talent to draw from that you could actually try to bring those guys in. If you look at the percentage of kids that ASU was on that they actually signed, extremely high. And you look at the average star ranking and the other metrics that actually matter, they did well. So in the grand scheme of things, is this a great class? Just purely looking at it as, a, is it a great class? No. But it's a it's a fine class, but through the 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 context that ASU specifically had this year, Herm Edwards' first year, early signing period, not that many recruits out there, they did really well. They actually did great in that regard. And there's some things we're going to talk about later on that you guys have some good perspective on that really kind of hammers at home. 
And Herm actually said in, in the press conference yesterday where he was uh, talking about National Signing Day, I don't get involved in rankings, I get involved in wins and losses. Uh, just something that he said. Um, Kalen, you were there at the press conference where Herm Edwards was alongside Donnie Yantis and defensive coordinator uh, Danny Gonzalez. What were some of your main takeaways from the press conference, and what did you think? You talked a little bit in your article that you wrote on the site about some of your main takeaways uh, about the new leadership model and maybe this mm-hmm. being one of the first signs of success. Yeah, no, and building off Chris's point, and uh, uh, just to further that point, I, I think, you know, it, it's hard to not have that preconceived notion looking at it from the outside. Obviously, they're not here, and as Chris mentioned, human beings are naturally going to want to be right. I think you look at, you know, for what ASU was able to do, the fact that you have a new coaching staff really taking on what really looked like to be a weak recruiting class for them to be able to turn out in the the span of hours, you know, go from in the lowest of the rankings all the way into the top 35 in the country almost. Um, I I think it was a really good first step, all things considered. Um, I mean, Herm Edwards has never done this before, and he, you know, he made it clear, and it was a talking point for people to clown on, including, I mean, I wasn't clowning on it, but it's just, it's funny, you know? There's no way, there's no other way to go about it. It's pretty funny that, you know, you have a 60-year-old man who's going out and recruiting, but, and then again, um, Danny Gonzalez mentioned how crucial he was. Donnie Yanis mentioned how crucial he was. Antonio Pierce even said how crucial he was. So in, in sort of the CEO aspect, if you're looking at the leadership model, and we'll go in, further in depth in the, the premium, but it, it's definitely a, a sign that this is something that's viable moving forward. And and just to build on kind of what you just said, Kalen, we've, we mentioned it's successful, but it has been successful for a couple key reasons uh, that we haven't really got to yet. They filled all their the most of their positional needs. Uh, they added a, a ton of depth behind Eno Benjamin and Traylon Smith at running back. They got some linebackers in there, obviously, with Merlin Robertson and others. They added to their offensive line core and even got some guys to help out on special teams and were successful in California. There were 13 of the recruits, 13 of 21 recruits um, of this class came from uh, the Golden State. And so that was something that was made very important a very important point made by Ray Anderson that Todd Graham wasn't able to do last season. And so, I mean, those are a couple of the key reasons I think that we are all very positive about how this class turned out. And that California point is really notable just because of last year in that class, Arizona State didn't land a single high school person from California. And that's something that Ray Anderson talked about when he was firing Todd Graham was that he really wanted to make sure that the next head coach really instilled uh, kind of this, this element of having California be well-recruited and Chris, it's like we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast before. It's it's the Antonio Pierce's, the Tony White's, the Danny Gonzalez's that are from that area and have been coaching there uh, most recently that are helping out with that. How many guys did ASU sign from California high school ranks last last class? None. Zero. zero. Everybody knows that. Everybody is holding up a zero right now. If you're ASU, you have 0% chance of success in on the field if you're not getting some good players from California. Zero percent. You will never win championships. You will never compete for Rose Bowls. You have no chance. There are no programs in the country. Think about it in your minds as you're listening to this right now. Go to the SEC. Go to the Midwest, Ohio State, Michigan. Think about the best teams in the West. There are no programs that have the ability to have sustainable long-term success without taking a majority of their talent from that's of the of the really good talent from their their state their region their area from their coffers you have to be able to do that rob uh asu had a um 
a bad year in state, which we're going to talk about for the for the second year in a row. They have to fix that. They know that. But if you look at ASU's two Rose Bowl teams, I've talked about this. I know before, chock full of California kids. Ray Anderson was right when he said ASU needs to do a lot better in California. They hired a staff that's built to enable them to be able to do that. And let's get a little bit into the actual players that got recruited and are in this new class. Uh, quickly, I want to mention five ASU starting front seven uh, have left. We, we've already reported that. That's been um, you know old news. Tayshawn Smallwood, A.J. Latu, JoJo Wicker, Christian Sam, DJ Calhoun, Jamarcus Rhodes, and Chad Adams, some of the uh, departures along with Sam Jones, A.J. McCollum on the offensive line, and the two senior running backs that left, Kalen Palage and Tamario Richard. So let's get into the actual groups, though. The offensive line, um, there were three recruits. Uh, Chris actually uh, predicted a week and a half ago that there would be three recruits, uh, three offensive linemen in this class. So Jared Bell, the offensive guard, Ralph Frias, the offensive tackle, and Spencer Lovell, the offensive guard. Where do you guys think that this group kind of shapes up looking into next year? I think they still need to maybe add someone else late. Uh, I think that's something that Donnie Ant has touched upon, that just adding bodies to the offensive line. But if you look at just like what they were able to do down the stretch, because they only had Ralph Frias really committed up until this last week. So getting being able to have Lovell at the end, get Jared Bell. Jared Bell was probably the first major battle the ASU was able to win on signing day. And he helped shift the tide for the signing day narrative. But I think they did a good job, especially to get a couple of interior linemen in there. But they probably need another tackle. Yeah, and we've and talked about this group a lot just because we think it's so important, especially for the running backs group, which we don't exactly know who could be the starter there. And just having uh, the senior quarterback, Manny Wilkins, having the protection that he needs. Um, so looking into that, I, I'm just really curious to see um, how well set they are for next year. Oh, it's also worth noting that Casey Tucker will be joining as a graduate transfer. He's not part of this class officially, but right. he's another tackle there as long as will be adding on. And he was a former four-star recruit, yeah. And I think that Tucker, obviously, as you mentioned, has a chance to play uh, on the outside almost immediately next season. And then they have uh, a prospect who's sort of on the cusp of being ready to start, and that's Jarrett Bell. And then they have deeper prospects, uh, like you mentioned, in Louisville and, and Ralph Freya. So I think they were able to adjust it, uh, or I think that they were able to add to their lineup, not just starters or potential prospects, but guys that they can work on and develop down the line. And shifting to the running back group, they signed four running backs, A.J. Carter, Brock Sturges, Demetrius Flowers, and Isaiah Floyd. The last time they signed four running four running backs was 2002 when three transferred. What do you guys kind of make of the jumbled up backfield now with Eno Benjamin and Trelon Smith in there as well? Well, I mean, I spoke to John Simon. He's, he actually pulled me aside after the press conference, and I was asking him about it. And I was like, what was that going to be like when you have so much competition in the room? And he just smiles. He, he was giddy. He's like, man, I got a stable. That, that's the first thing that came out of his mouth. But you, it's definitely going to be interesting because you have so many different types of running backs available to you. I think Eno Benjamin, again, is probably – and should be their feature back going into next year. But you add someone like Floyd who's been productive, a different type of player, um, probably a little bit more redundancy at some in, in some aspects where you have a lead role and then um, more of a scat back type player. But I, I think that each of the prospects, just looking at on film, I think they're all they profile pretty similarly to what I think John Simon wants, a feature running back that's able to run the football powerfully and catch the ball out of the backfield. It's also worth noting that three of those guys were signed uh, during the early signing period, two of which were committed under Todd Graham. So they really were adding on, but four is a lot of guys to bring in. They had a chance at Marcus Washington, who would have brought those groups probably five guys capable of playing running back. 
uh, from this class. But having four guys, it's a lot of guys coming back. Coming in, especially with only Kalen Balaj and Demario Richard leaving, maybe you can consider that maybe they needed a little bit more of it, especially with Nick Rawlson moving more to right. an H-back type of role. But Traylon Smith and you know Benjamin, like you mentioned, already established. They, John Simon's got a lot of stuff to work with, at least from this group. Right. Chris, do you think that you're going to see some transfers then out of this group in terms of, you know, maybe Trelon Smith or Nick Ralston? I think I led you astray before we started recording. ASU in 2010 signed DeAndre Lewis, Taylor Wallstad, Damian Williams, and Kyle Middlebrooks. That's four running backs. Now, ultimately what happened is Damian Williams never played at ASU. He ended up transferring. He's in the NFL now, actually, right? Uh, I think he didn't qualify. Taylor Wallstad didn't make it a year at ASU. DeAndre Lewis didn't make it to the you know through his the whole his whole career. Kyle Middlebrooks ended up being a fifth year senior, but he played on a defense for a little while, and he played at running back. None of those guys ended up make, made an impact. Now, uh, you know, to the question about what's going on with their scholarship scholarship situation at running back, how that all breaks down, I think I'm going to reserve my thoughts on that for the premium. Uh, but signing four running backs is likely going to, you know, not resolve itself. You know, it's not like everybody's going to be happy with their playing time when you have four guys that are all within a class of each other. Next position, linebacker. I think it might be the most important position that ASU needed to fill after losing Christian Sam and DJ Calhoun, two veteran linebackers that both have chances to play in the NFL. They might not. Um, Christian Sam was uh, received an invitation to the NFL Combine this week. Um, but the linebackers, they got Merlin Robertson, the highly touted four-star recruit uh, from from Southern California. Reggie Hughes, another California recruit. Darian Butler, California. Stanley Lambert, an athlete listed. But, uh, Chris, you think he's going to play more of an outside linebacker position? And then Christian Laval, um, another California recruit. So that is four out of the five uh, players in that position coming out of the California area. It looks like that position is a lot more set than it was before yesterday. Yeah, and especially with the... You can sort of see, especially with a lot of the new guys that they added in, the guys like a Merlin Roberts and a Darian Butler, those three guys are really going to fit what Danny Gonzalez wants out of a three-three-five, which is a lot of those versatile, longer uh, type of linebackers. Uh, Antonio Pierce is really high on a lot of these guys too, especially guys like Roberts and Butler because those were guys he played against, had a face when he was coaching at Long Beach Poly. But a lot of versatile guys, a lot of – and just a lot of bodies that you need for a position that's frankly that was looking thin uh, entering this class just because of the mentioned the departures you mentioned before with Calhoun and Sam and no real experience behind them other than maybe guys like Kalen Thomas or Dion Guinard who have played a little bit. Uh, five guys that could play linebacker, none of whom were junior college players, right? Let's just frame that because you're losing two starters, two of the top tacklers in the Pac-12, not just on your team. Do you have enough on your roster already coupled with what you're getting to be able to handle that next season? That's also a subject for the premium. And then the defensive backs, just just quickly, uh, Taron Adams from California, Ashari Crosswell, uh, one of the three four-star recruits from Long Beach Poly, Dominique Harrison, and Eli Doyle. Those are uh, the defensive backs, with uh, also with Cameron Phillips, uh, who's projected to be more of a safety in that role. Um, looks like that group also has a lot of players that, that could see playing time in 2018 already with the guys that we've seen now. 
Yeah, and Danny Gonzalez actually touched on it during the press conference. He's starting to flesh out, you know, they Arizona State's going to play in a base 3-3-5, but you're seeing the body types and profiles similar to what they had at San Diego State, who, like Fabian just mentioned, versatile guys who are athletic and um, really position versatile and really lo- love flying around the football. That's the one thing that stands out on film around all these guys. And, and to what you mentioned, Kaylin, I think that the only guys that we really do know are kind of fit in their roles, possibly Dominic Harrison playing corner and Taron Adams also a corner because they're Juco guys, a lot like what ASU got last year. Uh, but, I mean, Crosswell, Eli Doyle, uh, you know, even Cameron Phillips, we're not exactly sure where they're going to go, but that is just really a good thing for ASU, especially when you're in a 3-3-5. And then defensive line, there was only two two recruits that uh, were in this class, Jermaine Lole, the defensive lineman from Long Beach Poly. He's one of the four-star recruits, and Michael Mattis, defensive lineman from uh, – Texas. So it looks like that group, we've already talked about it a little bit on this podcast before, but it looks like that position might not have needed as much work going into this class. Um, in terms of wide receivers, this this group is already stacked. This ASU group is already stacked in terms of wide receivers. We've said that, that might be even the most jumbled up position on the team, but I mean, now with running backs, it might be kind of the same as that. Jordan Porter, though, um, uh, you guys are very high on him. Wide receiver um, from California. How much of an impact do you think he could make um, in that group? Uh, well, everybody knows that ASU returns all of its wide receivers. Yep. So, and Jordan Porter has speed. There's a lot of things that are good about what he projects to be, but immediate impact? No, I don't think so. And um, you know, beyond that, I think we want to keep a lot of that analysis kind of to our premium side. But uh, but ASU beat Tennessee, Texas A&M. He was at one point committed to Notre Dame. Right. UCLA wanted him. You don't get a lot of 6'2 kids that have 10, 5, give or take speed in the 100 meters. And what I would also say, Rob, is that ASU did a good job um, evaluating Jordan Porter. It was the first major conference school to offer him before all these other schools got involved. And that that's that's a product of their renewed emphasis that they made in this last class, this, this class I just signed yesterday, toward doing a better job uh, with more resources in California. And as Chris said, you know, might not have an impact specifically on field next year, but going forward, it's a good, another addition to the wide receiver group and just good to show that you can get recruits like that, like Chris just mentioned. And then they've got Brandon Ayuk, um, the athlete who could maybe play wide receiver, maybe some defensive, maybe he can be a defensive back. He was offered by Alabama as well. I know Fabian's very excited because he was offered by Alabama as well. Well, I mean... He's just another one of those guys that you can think about just uh, for special teams in general, too. Uh, you don't know what position he's going to spend his full-time uh, attention to, but you have a lot of guys that project well for special teams. Uh, a lot of athletic guys. Brandon Ayuk is one of them. You have guys like Ashari Crosswell. You have, a, you have a lot, Isaiah Floyd. You have a lot of these quicker, more athletic guys. And that fact that should be a factor in the return game punt returners, kick returners, and that's something that's honestly going to make a difference. I think they made a comment yesterday about how Sean Slocum was pretty excited, especially with what they're going to be getting in terms of special teams, sort of talent, especially because these guys, as true freshmen or as first-year players, are probably going to spend a lot of time in that area. And exactly as you mentioned, uh, Herm Edwards and Donnie Antis each said yesterday that, that they were kind of addressing this class in terms of actually going at specific positions they needed. And they said it was, you know, running back, offensive line, linebacker, but also special teams, like you're just mentioning now, about how important it is to have those athletes that are capable of being big contributors on special teams. 
Um, so this podcast only really scratched the surface of what we're going to be getting into in our premium edition of National Signing Day. Uh, please stay with us for that, but thank you very much for tuning in. For Max Madden, Fabian Ardaya, Kalen Jones, and site publisher Chris Cartman, I'm your host, Rob Warner, saying thank you for tuning in and so long.